Hello from the Financial Times in London. I'm Katie Martin, Markets Editor, and this is News in Focus, where we offer our insights into the stories that matter. Today, we're bringing you a podcast we first published a year ago about the life and legacy of Paul Volcker, who died at the weekend. Mr Volcker, who was one of the most influential monetary policymakers of the 20th century, is perhaps best known for defeating inflation in the late 1970s and early 1980s. The FT's Gillian Tett spoke to him at his home in New York last year about his views on good government, regulating finance and US-China relations. In this podcast, she shares some excerpts from the conversation. Paul Volcker and I first met two decades ago when I was writing a book about the financial crisis in Japan. He knew a lot about this because he'd been involved in an experiment to bring American-style finance to Japan. And so I used to go and see him in his office at the Rockefeller Center and interview him on his thoughts about how to deal with financial crises in America and elsewhere in the world. Interviewing him was often quite a challenge. He didn't use email. Everything had to go through his wonderful secretary and later his wife, Anka. And he always would scribble me these notes and comments in completely illegible longhand that I had to go to Anka and ask to translate. But he was always full of opinions, full of thoughts, and had a towering magisterial vision of how the global economy hung together and how the financial system worked or sometimes didn't work in the case of the Japanese crisis. I was contacted by Public Affairs, a publisher of Paul Volcker's memoir, who told me that he was keen to sit down and talk to me about his book. I'd always previously met him in his office at the Rockefeller Center, which is decorated with photographs of world leaders and fly fishing, his great passion, or else at conferences or various dinners in Washington, New York and elsewhere. But this time, his publisher and his wife Anka said they wanted me to go and see him at his house. So, one Saturday afternoon, I went to see him in his study, where he was sitting on a reclining chair in what he'd like to call a yoga suit, and had just enough strength to talk to me for about half an hour. It was a humbling and inspiring conversation from a man who has, in many ways, been a towering figure of 20th century finance and has some strong thoughts that he wants to impart to the 21st century generation. You know, I, I'm an old man. When I went to Washington, all excited as a young person, pretty quickly in pretty responsible positions, Washington was a middle-sized city. It had the advantages of museums and stuff because it was the capital city. It was basically a middle-class city. Very few lobbyists. There were only two big lobbyists, Chamber of Commerce and uh, the CIO AFL. Everybody bragged about the one restaurant the Kennedys went to. That was the only restaurant in Washington. Your friends were you can be a congressman or a senator, top staff people, that was the community. That community is, I don't know, treading water at the best. There were maybe three prestigious law firms in Washington back in the 50s and 60s. 
they may have had a a flaw on K Street. Then a little while they bought two or three floors. Three years later they bought the whole building. Now they buy another building. It's true, they got two buildings now. And what the hell are they all doing? They're lobbying. One of the things that Paul Volcker often laments is the extraordinary power of lobbyists in Washington and New York. And he points out that when he was there as chairman of the Fed, he didn't have to deal with a swarm of lobbyists. Today, that is very different. The amount of money that has been spent on the Volcker rule, just to take one example, is ridiculous. After the 2008 financial crisis, President Barack Obama actually approached Paul Volcker and asked him if he wanted to become Treasury Secretary. He said he was too old, but he then acted as an advisor to the White House and helped to craft some of the post-2008 financial reforms, including the so-called Volcker Rule, which prevents large banks from engaging in speculative propriety trading. It's a controversial rule because the large banks often say that it's very hard to distinguish between trades which are being done on behalf of their customers and proprietary trades. And in their role as market makers, they often have to take risks themselves. And personally, I think that some of these criticisms are indeed correct. But the key point is that Chairman Volcker was determined to find ways to lower the level of speculative risk-taking by deposit-taking institutions with a view to making the financial system safer. And that was certainly an admirable goal. In the last couple of years, there has been a return or in fact an increase and acceleration of lobbying by large banks, partly because the public and political focus on finance and financial reform has been diminished. And these days, there is a veritable army of financial lobbyists who are chiseling away at many of the reforms that were introduced after 2008. In some cases, they are actually improving the rules and making them more effective. In other cases, though, they're simply trying to ensure that finance has a freer hand to act and make more profits. Look, the reason I like this so-called Volcker rule is not just to search out every particular proprietary bet that's made. If they enforce the goddamn rule, then it begins changing the compensation practices a little bit, and it changes the whole atmosphere in the in the trading room, where they don't spend all their time figuring out how to make something that looks like a proprietary trade, but may not be a proprietary trade. Regulation is a tough business. It runs straight into the politics. And, uh, and you need to have a crisis to actually get any change. That's right. We'll, we'll have one. Just, you're 50 years old, you've got time for two. <laughs> <laughs> I asked him about the risks in the global economic system today, and one of the ones he pointed to was the rising tensions between America and China and in particular the fact that the Chinese have not behaved as most Americans presumed and tried to turn themselves into free market democratic economy, but instead of forging their own path, which is increasingly on a collision course with the West. 
And where do you see U.S.-China relations going? Tricky, tricky. Obviously, the Chinese are saying, you thought we were buying into your great mission of collective, happy openness and free trade. Well, we learned a little, and we ain't buying into that. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think it can be peaceable, but but obviously roar around the edges. It's a big edge. How concerned are you that the financial system is unstable at the moment? Well, it's hard for me to tell, but I think there's a lot of leverage going on, a lot of debt being created, everybody with money, interest rates very low, got to make some money, we'll buy another company, leverage the hell out of it, sell it to somebody else that'll leverage it even more. Are you worried about the United Nations and the fact that's losing credibility too? I'm worried about all international institutions. I mean, I think they're necessary but they sure are hard to manage. So, can I ask, what what would you like your legacy to be defined by? Uh, yeah, I really like my legacy to be some attention to public service, but it's, it's a losing cause. And when I grew up, good government was a good slogan. Now the phrase good government is a mockery. Thanks to Gillian and thanks for listening. Don't forget, if you missed our recent episodes on the global pensions crisis, how innovative finance could help save the world's wildlife, or climate in the UK election, you can subscribe and listen on all the usual podcast platforms. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.